everyone. Welcome to Loving This Life podcast, hosted by yours truly, Abby Hillis, founder of ACH Events and co-founder of The Twelfth Woman, an advocacy group fighting for sexual assault survivors. This podcast is about loving the life that you live and 100% owning it and being happy with it. Each episode will include a guest or thoughts to help bring your dreams to reality, understand true commitment in life, and help turn some of your darkest days into the brightest years. So grab some coffee, some wine, or whatever tickles your fancy, and join me on this adventure of finding happiness and taking charge. Okay, welcome everybody to episode 12, and I have Miss Allison on here. She is an acupuncturist, Mm -hmm. and she's coming on because I've done two sessions with her now, and she focuses primarily um, on women, women's studies, is that what you call it? Women's health. Women's health. And so she's kind of helping me kind of like take a new route after postpartum and feeling like I still haven't ever come back from being like fully healed from delivering over a year ago. And so we kind of like totally hit it off at my first appointment and we've, I was like, dude, you totally need to come on and do an episode. So here she is. So I'm going to kind of let her give her background and kind of let you guys know where she's been, where she's going and that type of thing so that you guys kind of understand her background. And then Super excited to dive into sex. We're going to talk about sex. Like We're going to talk about <laughs> sex a lot today. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, welcome. Thanks for coming, dude. Yeah, thanks, Abby, <laughs> for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So yeah, I am a licensed acupuncturist and nationally board certified herbalist. I started studying and practicing Chinese medicine about five years ago now. Um, I've always known I wanted to work with women. I just didn't know how. And now as I've gotten into my clinical practice, my focus is primarily integrative gynecology and also uh, women's health. And that kind of encompasses a lot, um, reproductive health and education, sexual health, postpartum care is something I'm really, really passionate about, as Abby kind of alluded to, and we'll probably talk a little bit about that. But I came to Chinese medicine. It was kind of a crazy story. I was working in corporate America in sales and marketing, and actually at one point I worked for a tobacco company, which is crazy. That is so crazy. When you told me that, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. I was born, or I was raised in North Carolina, and so uh, tobacco was kind of just the network that I had access to. So I was doing sales for American Spirit Cigarettes for a while. Was really good at at it, was making a ton of money, but I got... I was just like, you know, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I cannot imagine just climbing the corporate ladder. And I obviously wasn't really into selling tobacco forever. Um, (laughs) And promoting maybe not the best health in the world. Yeah, and then here I am as a healthcare practitioner, which is awesome. But basically, I got this huge bonus for Christmas one year that was kind of unexpected. And I made the decision to go live abroad, and everything kind of lined up. It was very divinely orchestrated. It was way beyond my control. I had a opportunity to work for a nonprofit in Peru outside of Cusco. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go down there and I'm going to spend six months and just really reevaluate where my career is heading and get my head right because my mental health was just really crappy at that point. I was on and off of ADHD meds. My anxiety was through the roof. I was like living off of Adderall and Monster Energy drinks, <laughs> um, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Especially in the sales world. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's part of the gig, right? You're yeah. getting paid so well and you get all these job perks, but you're also just kind of like dying inside. <laughs> so, so yeah, but while I was down in Peru, I kind of got my mind blown open. I experienced um, some different things, a lot of herbal medicine. I worked with some energy healers, some shamans, and also just the people in Peru. The indigenous people are amazing. They're very connected to the earth still. They farm off the land, they eat from the land, and they eat local produce. So that was a new experience for me. I also experienced meditation and yoga really for the first time. And over the course of that six months, I realized slowly that my mental health was the best it had ever been. I was feeling the best I'd ever felt without medication. And obviously, you know, I was away from day-to-day life, but it really made me reflect on our life here in America and the way that we just live as a culture. And it's really intense. It's a rat race. It's a rat race. And I feel like the quality of life here is actually pretty low compared to most other places in the world. And it's crazy to see a third world country where people are basically living in poverty, but they're 
so happy and they're so fulfilled. And I think a large part of that is they are so connected to the earth. They're so connected to their communities. They're connected to their spirituality. And those are a lot of things that I think that we have kind of lost touch with a bit here in the States because of the way that we live our lives. So, And the culture expectation of just always being on. And like now with the access to technology, like it's almost we're going to get into talking about boundaries, but it's almost nearly impossible to set boundaries to like allow yourself to sign off at night or on the weekends. Exactly. You know, people in the third world countries don't have to deal with that because they don't have access to it. Totally. And there's actually a really good book by Ariana Huffington. She talks about, she's done a lot of studies. She's the CEO of Huffington Post. And she talks about, uh, she had this, this moment in her career where she actually woke up in a pool of her blood on her office floor. And she realized that she had passed out because of fatigue. She had overworked herself so much. And she said it was a turning point. And she talks about the importance of sleep and preventative medicine in productivity for your company. And there's a direct correlation with increase in revenue and an increase in productivity when you are getting the proper preventative healthcare and and sleep and nutrition and all these things that you need. And I think a lot of us a lot of us let that fall to the wayside. So kind of roundabout, but you know, as a practitioner of Chinese medicine, I'm working with mind, body, and spirit. So a lot of the work that I do with my clients and my patients here in the States is around just finding balance in your mm-hmm. life and, and creating that space and moderation. Moderation. We've, we've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. All right. So that is the shortened background version of your life, which is super incredible. I think it's awesome. I think it's a good illustration that at any point in time, you're not in a corner. And for those of you that feel like you're in a corner, you can always pick up and move and change. And that corner doesn't really exist. You just, you make it feel like it's your only option. But then when you like look at the bigger picture, you take that leap of faith and go and change something or do something to better yourself everyone around you ends up benefiting, especially yourself. Yeah. Um, And And it's worth. I think it's a big part of it too, is just listening to your inner guidance, listening to your gut. You know, what, Mm -hmm. what is it that your, is your truth? You know, what is your purpose here and how can you make choices in your life to align your life to be living your purpose and your authentic truth? And I think a lot of us would be more happy if we were doing that. Yeah. Or better moms. Like we've talked about that Mm -hmm. and how I mean, for my first, like, and I think I've even talked about it on here, like my first six months of, of being a mom, I was just trying to do what everyone else told me to do and listen to everyone's thoughts and opinions and guidance and kind of ignored my own intuition and motherly instincts and just female instincts. And even now, like, it's a constant reminder, I think that we all need is to just like, focus on like what your body's telling you and your mind and your heart on whatever's around you or what you're interacting with and go based off of those vibes and those feelings rather than, you know, going based off of maybe common sense or what others are telling you. Yeah. And And I mean, I think that's one of our greatest gifts as women is that intuition. It's so strong. And I think, you know, speaking on the way that we live our lives a little bit, I think that we're so in our head because of the way that we live. We're just, you know, we're always on, like you were saying, we're always connected, but we're living from a really logical place in in a way that we haven't historically as human beings. We've been much more in our body and much more in tune with our intuition up until probably about the industrial revolution, honestly, when Mm -hmm. we kind of took on this productive kind of uh, lifestyle. But, you know, just getting in our body more is really important. Yeah, and listening to it for mm-hmm. sure, and then acting on it. Mm-hmm. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. You and I have talked about sex. That's pretty much like a large portion of our last conversation was a lot about sex. Obviously, as everyone knows who tunes into the podcast, uh, my experience has been probably very different than a lot of others and very similar to some people as well with you know experience of sexual assault and trying to find a good positive correlation to sex instead of a negative correlation to sex. And it's it's a process that takes a ton of therapy and self-love and communication with your partner. Now acupuncture is helping and just having someone to talk to and work through all those things. So there's meditation. I mean, there's just, it's been a lot of different things that I've had to navigate to kind of start getting to a point of like realizing one, how fun it can be, how rewarding it can be, how much happier it can make you, how it can relieve stress and relieve anxiety and like make you feel, I don't know, like there's like a million benefits to having like good, positive, 
interactions sexually, which is just so crazy because I just haven't seen it that way like my entire life. And there are definitely some people and friends that I have that do not relate to this nor have related to this. And, you know, they've been very sexual and explored their sexual side their entire life. You being one of them. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those people. (laughs) And I'm like the polar opposite. So you're going to get two sides today. You're going to get the Allison side where, you know, she started exploring at, you know, teenage years and like took off running. And I'm over here very sheltered and brought up and raised in with around boys where we just didn't talk about it and didn't, you know, really... I don't know, do much about it and learning now that that's that it can be changed and there's a different there's a good medium between the two of just like finding your happiness and what works for you and what helps benefit you and make make it what's best in your life, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's an important part of the conversation. I think it's great that we have different different points of view and we're kind of on different ends of the spectrum for this conversation, because I think a big thing here is that there is no normal for sex. Your body is your body. Your sexuality is your sexuality. All of these things are on a spectrum and everyone's experience is their own experience and no one's wrong and no one's right. We just all have our own sexual experiences and our own, our own bodies. And, and so everyone's experiences are valid. And I think we don't have enough space to talk about this in community and public forums. And that's why a lot of us kind of internalize things and we keep things to ourselves and we sit there and we're like, is this normal? You know, the fact that I don't want to have sex with my partner for a week or two, is that normal? You know, should I I feel guilty? Yeah. And we just need more space to talk about that. And, you know, real quick before we dive in fully, I want to say, I want to acknowledge that I feel a lot of gratitude and uh, privilege to be able to speak about these things because there are a lot of people in the world that don't have that privilege. And so I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that, too, because it's really it's really incredible that we're able to talk about it. It's very true. Not everyone has the platforms and the ability. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the taboo related to sex and I guess just like why it exists and where it exists and like how we get past that and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And what what is sex taboo and like how does that work I mean I think for me personally I think a lot of it has to do with the way that we've evolved generationally right like our grandparents and our parents generations this has become more of a conversation you know you had the sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s and that was kind of the first wave but you know up until a few decades ago people didn't marry for for love and marry for sex, people married for financial reasons and business purposes. It was like a business agreement. So there's been this change also in mm. in the way that we relate to our partners and marriage that I think has evolved with generations. So I think to me, that's a piece of the puzzle is that interesting. we've evolved as a generation. Each generation has evolved and sex has become more of a topic of conversation and it's there's more space to talk about it. But I know I grew up in a in an environment where sex was not talked about. Yeah. Other than maybe like in the awful sex ed that I had in school that was like <laughs> slideshows of genitals with gonorrhea, which is awful. Yeah. Yeah. Awful. I know. I would actually be interested to hear like if anyone's listening to this, if they've <laughs> if they had a positive experience from sex ed, because I feel like no one did. No, it was it's like awful. the worst ever. What what schools have put together for sex ed is 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 cringeworthy for sure. I think that's part of the reason why it's taboo, though. I think our sex education, you know, I I'm personally, and everyone can have their own opinion, but I'm personally not a huge fan of the abstinence only education because I don't think that that Agreed. that breeds conversation that's realistic and it and it hinders the conversation and put stigma around sex. And that's why people get STDs. That's why people, you know, don't understand how to communicate about boundaries and consent and or, pleasure. Or early pregnancies because yeah. they're not aware of what's going on. I also feel like it goes against what the human body naturally is supposed to do. Like sex was created and is a thing I feel like that we're all supposed to have. And when you go like the abstinence route, it's teaching people who do have that like thrive and need for that like physical and uh, what am I trying to say? The physical intimacy, intimacy that they almost feel like it's wrong for them to want that. But the reality is, is like it's a hu- natural human tendency, mm-hmm. and like that's something that like, I mean, I feel like I've completely like shut it off so much because of what I was taught that like it's hard for me to like figure out, dig down deep, and find that to bring it back out because it was like just muted for so long of just like, no, you're not supposed to have sex before marriage. And if you do, you're an awful person and you're going to get 
you know, an STD and you're going to, what is it, oh, the quote off of Mean Girls, like, you will get chlamydia and die or yeah. whatever. <laughs> like, are you, am I going to die? Yeah, <laughs> like, well, and I mean, back in the day, I probably thought I would if I got some sort of, I don't know, like, because they make, they just scare the absolute living shit out of you. Totally. And physiologically, you know, your brain is developing, your frontal lobe is still developing well into your 20s. And yes. so you're in this really vulnerable place as a teenager at the onset of your sexual life where you're very, very... uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like you're, you're kind of like a sponge, like you, and everything that you take in really affects you. And as your brain is developing and creating these neural pathways and associations with certain behavior patterns and thought patterns, you're creating potentially really damaging, difficult to untangle ideas around sex that are going to affect you well into your adulthood. So from a healthcare practitioner's standpoint, I think we're doing a disservice to people by not allowing them the space to explore that and and be open about that and and you know create maybe more healthy neural pathways around sex and intimacy. Oh yeah, 1000% agree. Absolutely. So, let's talk about the levels, I guess, or yeah, I guess it's levels of sexual sexuality, I guess, and like is it a thing where there people are there are some people who are wanting who are naturally more sexually active and need to be more sexually active versus others or like I don't even I feel, sound so uneducated I feel like talking about this but like what does that look like I mean but we are all uneducated <laughs> that's the problem that's what we're talking about here yeah. you know everyone's just like blind and and kind of just figuring it out as they go but then on top of it we don't have the means to talk about it yes. necessarily so we're all like okay i guess this is how i'm doing this um so true <laughs> i just think i just think of sexuality as a spectrum like i said i don't think that there is one right way or one wrong way and there are people that you know are very sexual and then there are people i mean there's people who are asexual who really don't even feel the need to have sex um mm-hmm. so this is a whole spectrum and i think a big part of the puzzle is first recognizing where you're at, you know, what do, what are your needs? Like independent of your partner, independent of, you know, anything else, independent of what society and, and you know, your church and your culture and your parents and all of these things have told you. Yep. What is it that you need? What is it that, you know, what is it that Abby needs for yeah. herself? Right. First and foremost. And then figuring out what that is and then working on, just aligning with that and not what you feel like the outside factors are supposed to be. Totally. Um, and like you just figuring out who you are, maybe it is behind closed doors and maybe it's not, but yeah. for me it's behind closed doors and just like finding a place where you're confident and happy and maybe you're doing more investigating and, you know, really just trying to figure out like what and where your sexuality is. And I guess kind of backstory on my end because obviously with my last episode, I really put it out there on like a recap of my therapy session. And I've had another one since then. And we've, we've talked a lot about and continued to talk about boundaries. And what I was learning was I was creating boundaries, but they were black and white. So now my therapist has gone in and asked, you know, like challenge yourself to maybe look and navigate through the gray area a little bit more and submit those boundaries, but then also allow the external, whether it's people or environment or whatever to, respond to those boundaries and you not just like lay down the law. And along with that has been removing boundaries behind closed doors and being sexual with my husband, which he's probably going to cringe when he knows that I've like this openly talked about sex, but that's okay. He's going to have to get used to that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because like we got to get it out there and we got to start the conversation somehow. But like I have been very like I've probably G-rated in the bedroom and like feel like I can't explore and like go past what would your typical like thought of what sex is. And it's been really hard for me to get past that. And I'm working on figuring out like what makes me happy and what works for me and what's pleasurable and what's not and trying new things and being okay with trying new things and communicating exponentially way more about like the good and the bad of like what we're doing to each other and how we're doing it and when we're doing it and where we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so for those of you who are not aware of like what that looks like for me, that that's kind of what I'm currently going through right now. And on the flip side, you have Allison who could, you know, she's, I would say, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but thoroughly investigated maybe a lot more of the sexuality side and what you like and what you don't like and what works for you and doesn't. So, I mean, 
we can probably even talk about those things a little yeah, bit more no, in depth. I mean, but I think the gray area is a good is a good point. I think with sex, you know, there is so much gray area. And, you know, I think that's where we run into some issues, especially on like a on a societal level. I think we're seeing this play out a lot with like the Me Too movement and all of these things yep. right now. There are really some some times where it's very blatantly assault, right? There, it's very blatantly a violation of someone's body. Yep. And then there are a lot of times as well where there's just, it's a gray area. And when it comes to boundaries, I think for me personally, I've been kind of turned off by this whole fallout, I think, from the Me Too movement where it's become kind of this witch hunt. And I think it's people are, men are scared to actually engage in conversation or people are, enga- are scared to engage in conversation because there is so much gray area that we haven't talked about and people are afraid that they're going to, you know, they're going to have repercussions because they, you know, yep. did something, but maybe they didn't realize that it was a violation of, of someone's boundaries. And so I guess what I'm getting at here is that I think everyone has to take accountability and be able to recognize and communicate their boundaries in the moment because I think boundaries are an ongoing thing. Consent is an ongoing thing, right? And you might be, if you're exploring new areas of your sexuality, you might be exploring things that you haven't experienced before. And so maybe those boundaries pop up as you're going and all of a sudden, or even after in retrospect, you're like, whoa, that was like, that feels like there's something that wasn't right about that for me, or it violated some kind of boundary. And it might take you a little while to process what that was and then communicate it to your partner. But I think that it's always a really good idea to just be very like self-investigation, um, like self, I don't know what the word Self-aware. Is. Yeah, just self-aware in the situation and yep. be kind of introspective and, and questioning, you know, what is it here that I like? What is it that I don't like? And then communicating that with your partner. So there aren't those times where, you know, you're like, wow, I got violated, but your partner has no idea that they actually violated something because you're not able to communicate it. Yeah. You know, that like, made me like kind of what you were saying made me process something. So I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend and she was talking about how like she was telling a story about her high school days and describing, you know, an intimacy with someone in high school and how like gunk ho she was on like what she knew she wanted and didn't want. And for me, like through the whole 12th woman thing that I experienced and went through, I realized that the major sexual assault that happened in my life was only one of many sexual assaults that I then realized actually happened to me throughout college. And now you saying that makes me realize that like, I had no idea what my boundaries were going through college. Cause that was when my sexual life started really. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that I probably, I don't want to like put the responsibility on myself, but it probably would have helped prevent a lot of situ- putting myself in situations where my boundaries weren't respected because I didn't even know what they were. Totally. And I, I wasn't, mean, even- I wasn't aware and I wasn't comprehending it and talking about it and expressing it. Cause I, I was like, well, is this right? Is this not? Cause I didn't even know. Yeah. I and- mean, and even as somebody who has done a lot of exploration with my sexuality, that's something again, that's ongoing. I'm not changing. the same person yeah, that I was true. at 20 years old. So my yep. boundaries, I, we probably have that in common. I was very boundaryless, and you know, that's part of the reason why I am so passionate about this because I realize in retrospect how many situations I've been in where my boundaries weren't clear, both internally and then also I wasn't communicating them. Right. Just a just a couple of weeks ago, I was having a discussion with a friend as well, and we were talking about how how many times we've left an intimate situation or a sexual experience with somebody where we left feeling kind of icky, like something something happened or we felt violated, but it wasn't very clear where the violation happened. Mm. And then you're left kind of feeling guilty, like how much did I contribute to that going that far when I wasn't comfortable with it? Right. And maybe that person has no idea that you're feeling that way and then there's no opportunity for conversation. So coming back around, I feel like, That's where I get a little bit, I feel a little bit weird. You know, I want everyone to be able to have these conversations in a way that's really productive where we can say, hey, you know, how, say you, say you have an experience with a partner where you leave feeling that way, right? I think if we go about it the right way, we can create opportunities for conversation where everyone can learn and grow from the situation. Sure. And because we're not able to have those conversations a lot of times, there's no growth that occurs. Well, I think now too with like, there is something to be said with the Me Too movement that like guys almost feel like they can't talk about it now because it's like, I don't want to say even just guys, but just people in general, like 
now if a female brings it up, it's like, oh, am I already being inappropriate by talking about this? And it's like, no, we all need to come to this realization that just talking about sex shouldn't bring, it shouldn't bring uncomfortableness. It should, it should bring a level of openness and honesty to the conversation and to the table so that we can all like work on just being better humans and and defining and defining what is inappropriate behavior as well. I I had an experience um, that I want to share that happened a couple months ago. I was a waitress for a while uh, while I was putting myself through med school and I finished my last waitressing shift and I was at the restaurant that I was working in and there was a guy in a business suit with his business partner and I was discussing with them. They had been at the bar drinking for a bit. I was discussing with them about possibly meeting for some business networking and business coaching and we were having this conversation and the guy got a little drunk and after we had been talking about this, he had given me his business card and everything and they were very high up in a company uh, here in Austin one of them was an executive, actually, and on a national level for this company. And his counterpart, not the executive, but his counterpart grabbed my ass, full hand grabbed my ass, and they Ooh. both laughed about it. I jumped back. I'm at the point in my life, I, I probably wouldn't have said something about that maybe like five or ten years ago, but I'm at the point in my life where I was very clear that that was inappropriate. And I said something along the lines of, if you're going to meet me for a business meeting, you're not touching my ass. And the both of them laughed. And so I left the situation feeling like, okay, this guy blatantly grabbed my ass, which is an assault. And then his counterpart, who was his boss, who was an executive at this company, just was very complicit and just allowed that to happen. So we leave. I leave. My boyfriend was actually there with me at the time, but he had been away when this had happened. We get in the car. I was like, let's go home. We get in the car to go home. And as soon as we get in the car, I tell him what happens. Well, the next morning, he wakes up and he sees the guy's business card on my dresser and he is like, hell no, this is not happening. And so he goes and he goes on the Facebook page of the company and just like tells them in a, like a two page rant about what happened and calls them out. And the company got in contact with us. And, you know, I'm starting a business right now in this community. So for me, I was very much like, you know what? My energy and my time is really precious right now. Right. I, I can't. That's the sad part. Calling this kind of behavior out, it's like you have to weigh sometimes the pros and cons. Is this a time in my life where like I have the energy and the space to really, you know, deal with any kind of fallout that might happen? Do I want to get involved in like an internal investigation right now in this community where this person actually has a lot of influence and power, obviously? But my boyfriend was great. He stood up for me in a way that I probably wouldn't have stood up for myself at that moment. And the company responded to us and we were in contact with their HR. We went back and forth. Mm. And I'm telling the story because it was a situation where, you know what, this guy didn't didn't rape me. He didn't, it wasn't, you know, this really extreme assault. It was something that's honestly happened several times in my life, a lot, a sure. lot of times yeah. in my life at this point. But I didn't feel like he needed to lose his job or his entire life needed to be, you know, ruined over this. I just wanted the company to say, hey, there's a reason why this behavior has been acceptable with our company culture and our employees. And we want to put a stop to this or set better standards or have better protocols around allowing this kind of behavior to to happen. So I, you know, I said to them, I was like, I want, I just want this person to be reprimanded in a way where they just understand this behavior is not acceptable and maybe better standards are, are put in place moving forward. And what wound up happening was the company came back and said, hey, their story is a lot different than your story. So it's a he said, she said thing. And yep, just how it goes. But still, you know, just that's kind of my point in telling that story is that there are times when it doesn't have to be this like career and life ruining thing. But we can have conversations that are really productive and will set standards and better protocols around handling these behaviors. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And so I guess that that situation was just illustrating to me, you know, there is a spectrum here and there is opportunity for us as a society, men and women, to be involved and engaged in these conversations that can actually really bring about change. We just, we have to be able to have the conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like even looking back on my personal experiences, like I feel like they're the other assaults that happened to me while in college, like it would be so nice if I could just sit down with that person and just be like, Hey, you realize you did this. Like, I don't even know if you realize like you violated me, but like when I look back on it, I think negatively of you because of you doing this and they may not even know. Yeah. And it's not worth like, I mean, one, there's statute of limitations, which is only 10 years and dealing with that and the law and everything, which is beyond draining and the likelihood of it falling in your favor is 
sometimes nearly impossible. So being able to just like have a candid conversation with someone and kind of just like call out your emotions and your feelings and your violations and allow someone to like acknowledge that. And maybe they do and maybe they don't, but their way of processing it is then on them and not you. Exactly. And maybe, maybe in the moment it doesn't seem like they understand and respect what you're saying, but it maybe it prevents them from going forward and doing it in the future. Yeah, it's just an opportunity to pause and reflect and say, you know, why did this person interpret this as that? Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I love that. Thanks yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like a tangent that we yeah. didn't plan on going on, but that's okay. So, <laughs> and I would say to that, anyone that's listening that is like, uh, I would say, younger generation, maybe not married or in a very serious relationship going through college or about to go through college or maybe even just a little bit fresh out of college that like one, figure out your boundaries and what they are. And then two, like, don't be afraid to have those conversations because now I wish like going back, like, God, I wish I could go through college again and like completely re-experience it. And it's such a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, what it could have should have, but what we can do is just educate other people who are going through that to be better at doing it and help them. And again, maybe starting that conversation with good sex education would be, (laughs) would be great. That would be nice. (laughs) So (laughs) that would be nice. So let's talk coffee for a second. I don't know about you, but I am the type of person that unadmittedly makes a pot of coffee one day and maybe even uses the leftover coffee the next day and just reheats it. So not good, I know, for like the best tasting coffee, but hey, gotta do what you gotta do, right? But then I found Trade Coffee Company and you guys have got to check them out. Head on over to their website and take their coffee quiz. They're taking a whole new approach to really just brewing coffee at home. So basically you start by taking a quiz and they get an idea of the type of coffee you like and which beans would be best for you. From there, then they give you these awesome suggestions of which coffees would be the best fit for your coffee preferences. If you're interested and want to try it out, feel free to use the code ABBCHILLIS when checking out and I can get you 50% off your first bag. What, what? So go check it out. Trade Coffee Company. Um, So let's dive into, I know that you wanted to talk about like just sexual trauma, which we've kind of kind of talked about it, like the variance of what it can be. It can be something very simple and small, and it can be obviously very intense, negative and life changing. But like, what is that to you? What is sexual trauma defined as to you? So one of my vendettas, um, you know, working with women and with patients and kind of seeing these common threads pop up. One of my vendettas as a healthcare practitioner is really to expand the definition of what trauma and sexual trauma specifically is. Because I work in mind-body medicine, I'm dealing with the spiritual, emotional, and physical aspects of trauma. So, you know, one big thing that I see is a lot of times people don't identify certain experiences as trauma, so therefore they're not seeking help to move through those experiences and process those. And physical trauma or any kind of trauma you know, does take an effect on our body, and we do store that on a cellular level to some extent. And so we do have to stay mindful when we have those experiences so we can continuously work through them. And sexual trauma to me specifically, I think we have this more narrow definition of like rape and assault that that's very clear. But I think that trauma when it comes to sex and our reproductive organs also extends to a lot of things. It, it, you know, even postpartum experiences, labor and delivery, miscarriage, abortion. These are all traumas that are physical to our, our reproductive organs, to our uterus, to our, to our vaginas, you know, as women, um, something that also I think is traumatic Sometimes even something as basic as going to the gynecologist. We talked about that. Yeah. You like know, it's not a comfortable it's thing. It's not comfortable. And, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm like under fluorescent lights getting pried open. And it's just like my doctor has their back to me like typing on the computer. And, you know, not saying that all doctors are like that. But, I mean, they're working within a system that they have to work that way. Right. But it's, it's not a conducive environment to healing. And also something else traumatic for me is, I mean, my own personal experience with sexual trauma is around contracting an STD. And no mm-hmm. one really told me that that was a trauma. And I'll share my story. So basically, I had a boyfriend for seven years. Um, I thought I was going to marry him. He was the love of my life. And we broke up a couple of times and got back together. The last time we got back together, he gave me herpes. And he was very, he did allude to something that he thought he might have had something at one point, but he downplayed it so much so that I didn't protect myself or have boundaries. And Mm. 
I contracted herpes and it was awful. It was so traumatic. It totally changed the way that I viewed my sexuality and I viewed my body. It's been about almost six years since I got it. And it's been this incredibly difficult, but also beautiful journey into self-acceptance. And, you know, something like that really, really changed my perspective on my sexuality and the way that I relate to people. I can't casually date anymore. You know, I can't have casual sex with anybody without being like, hey, and you know, we live in a time where we're just like swiping left, right? (laughs) And you know, people are always swiping for the next best thing. And it's really hard to be that vulnerable with someone when dating is so fast paced and superficial the way it is now. So yes, um, you know, that experience for me was super, super traumatic. And it's been a long journey, and it's still an ongoing process. And so no one told me that that was trauma. And I didn't really consider it trauma. And now in retrospect, especially after studying the body and studying the mind-body connection, I see how traumatic that was. And so that's my own personal experience with it. But the point being that we don't, we don't always define trauma as trauma. And I think it's important that we expand our definition on that so we can seek help in a way yes. that we need. Yes, absolutely. Like we had a conversation about my postpartum and how I was responding to emails a week after and, um, meeting clients three weeks after giving birth. And then Allison comes in and is like, are you aware that in the Eastern medicine world, like six weeks of like bedridden healing is what's prescribed by the doctor with warm food only. And then, I mean, you can kind of go into more in depth because I think it'd be good for women listening to hear of what Eastern medicine describes postpartum healing as. Um, And I realized that that could be part of like me feeling like I've been having a lot of I guess, menstrual issues since postpartum and trying to figure out if it's IUD related or hormonal related or whatever. And it might just be related to the fact that like, I've never let my body heal fully from like postpartum delivery or delivering in postpartum uh, recovery. And I don't know, do you want to talk a little bit more about like what the Eastern medicine is so that like us us Westerners understand like how crazy it is that the government only allows six (laughs) weeks of like partial pay? Well, yeah, I mean, and that's part of it is that we're operating in a system that doesn't really (laughs) honor postpartum care. But so yeah, in Chinese medicine, it is actually called, it's a period of time for six weeks postpartum that is called Zuyetze, and it translates to sitting the month. And essentially, kind of what Abby said, so in Chinese medicine, we look at three times in a woman's life as the most important to her health and longevity. That's menstruation, menopause, and postpartum. So essentially, if those three times are not handled with care and we're not replenishing our body of the of the things that we're losing, whether it's hormones, blood, you know, everything, whatever, then we are setting ourselves up for difficulties in the future and maybe not having as much vitality and longevity. So it's really important that as we go, we're kind of taking care of ourselves and replenishing our bodies. Um, So with postpartum especially, when you are having a baby, when you're actually during the pregnancy process, you're creating a baby and creating life, your body is sending all of its resources to create this baby, right? So everything else is kind of getting neglected on a physiological level to some extent. So that occurs for nine months, and then we have the baby, and when we actually go through the labor process, labor and delivery process, we lose a ton of blood. We have this physical trauma, of course, but we lose a ton of blood. We lose a lot of nutrients. We lose, you know, we lose all of that tissue. So it's really, really important that we take the time and the care to replenish that. Uh, so in, in Chinese medicine theory, in the sitting the month period, we take six weeks, and we have very specific herbal and and nutrition protocols. And like Abby said, a lot of it is warm food, a lot of it's bland, a lot of bone broth, a lot of a lot of, you know, soups and things like that that replenish the blood, replenish the nutrients and ensure that our bodies are getting the restoration they need so we can move forward. And you know, as new moms especially, I don't have a child, but you know, I have a lot of friends that have gone through this as new moms, you know, we're so focused on the baby, which is amazing, but we also need to be filling our cup. We also need to be making sure that we're taking care of our body and we're healing ourselves so we can be the best mom and caretaker that we can be. So yeah. And replenish and just replenish the the resources. Cause I mean, I know for me, I was still, I think it was two or three weeks out and I was trying to even just sit and ride in a car and I was still sitting on a donut because donut <laughs> donut because of how bad the pain was still physically down there because I ripped pretty bad and it's just like there was you know 
we're having to take this newborn to the doctor every week and or every two weeks or whatever. And it was like, now looking back, if I have another child, which we don't know if we're going to or not, but if I did, I'd be like, that's all you, dude. Like you and maybe if my mom wants to go, like y'all go, I'm going to chill here. Like there's no reason for me to go to that doctor's appointment. It's a 30 minute doctor's appointment. And if they need milk and I'm breastfeeding, they can take a four ounce bottle and go and handle that. Like there's no need for me to go and be miserable in the car ride and not be able to sit down at the doctor's office and stand the whole time. And like everything about that, like looking back, I'm like, gosh, I could have helped myself so much. Well, and I think in Western medicine, you know, we have, you have your, what is it? Six week checkup postpartum. Oh, and that's, and that's the first kind of touch point that you have with a doctor for a lot of women. But you know, I think one thing that Western medicine neglects to recognize is how vulnerable emotionally, spiritually, and physically that time is for a woman. And it's really important. I, I think that's one reason why midwives and doulas are great, especially postpartum. They can be there as a resource to you. I mean, historically, we've lived in community where all of our community of women were around us, helping us to, right. to you know, to recover and take care of the newborn. Yeah, there's a lot of care that needs to go into that time. A lot. A lot. lot. And I would say, too, that six weeks postpartum checkup for me was, like, such a blur because I still was having a – I saw the six-week-old at home, and I still wasn't sleeping, and I still wasn't fully recovered. And, you know, we have to fill out that monstrosity of a form of where our mental health is at. And it's like, I'm not even at a place where I can comprehend where my mental health is at. I feel fucking crazy. Like, of course I do. Like, I just had a baby. Right. And like, how is this a true tale (laughs) sign? And I feel like my postpartum depression didn't kick in until like three months out. And it's like, where's that checkup? Yeah. And like, thank God I have a general practice doctor where I, when I was bringing, he's a family doctor. And so I was bringing KJ to the same doctor that I see. And Mm so he'd see him and he'd see me and he like straight up called me out and he was like, you're not healthy. Like I can tell by looking at you, you're not healthy. And like, thank God I have that. But so many people only take their kid to a pediatrician and that pediatrician doesn't, their job is that child, not the family or the mom or whatever. And so it's like, where is that in the healthcare system of like, we talk about this postpartum depression, but we don't talk about, or I mean, there's a million, it's not even just depression, it's postpartum anxiety and postpartum dysmorphia or whatever it's mm-hmm. called. And we don't talk about what we can implement to like help women through that. And it's crazy because like I went to that six month checkup or six week checkup. Then two weeks later, got my IUD put in and I haven't been back since. Which, okay. Can we just <laughs> talk about also, we talked about this, but like to have your physical, your body go through such a physical trauma as labor and then turn around and do another thing that's physically traumatic to your uterus that's intense that's a lot it's so crazy I mean not that I mean you made the decision that you had that you could make at that time right that's fine but it's also like you know your body needs time to recoup you know and I think this is one thing so the way that I practice Chinese medicine is I'm very respectful of modern medicine science I practice from a place of evidence-based medicine where I you know meaning that I'm keeping up with research and I think there's a time and a place for pharmaceuticals. There's a time and a place for surgery, right? But where Chinese medicine really does great is on the preventative side of things. And mm-hmm. so with acupuncture and herbs especially, I the reason I'm so into women's health is because there's so much that Chinese medicine and alternative medicine like chiropractic, massage, et cetera, can really do for, for women um, through these more vulnerable times of their lives. And I work a lot with pregnant women who, you know, we're working to create optimal blood flow to their uterus during the pregnancy to create the best environment we can for babies to grow. And then also, you know, maybe mitigate some symptoms or side effects of pregnancy, like nausea, vomiting, headaches, pain. And so doing that in a preventative way during the pregnancy is really beneficial because one, we can do that to help soften the cervix and the uterus and prepare the body for labor because your body is amazing. It knows what to do. Mm-hmm. It's going to do its thing, but we just have to you know, create a good environment for that. But then also the healing process becomes a little less intense because we've been working to build that up throughout the pregnancy. Mm. So if we're doing those things along the way, then we don't have to have this huge fallout and this, this, this really intense time of healing. It feels a little bit less intense. It's a really good point. Preventative measures of, of everything. And I mean, even now, like beyond delivery and postpartum and all of that, just like everyday life, which I know I need to put on the schedule to come see you again. <laughs> but just like 
you know, I'm realizing that I wasn't saying no to potential customers and clients and just go, 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 go. And realizing that like, I have to set boundaries and set myself up for success. So that way I'm not having to go back and play the reaction card with Western medicine. And instead I can use Eastern medicine to be proactive so that maybe I don't even ever have to get to the reactive side of exactly of medicine. And also a lot of Western medicine is a mask for what the real problem and the root of the problem is and working on figuring out how we can remove that mask and find like what the root of the problem is. Exactly. You know, you have this huge hormonal swing after pregnancy, after delivery. And so that's another thing that we can kind of mitigate with with preventative care is we can make that process a little bit more even keel. So it's Mm. not this huge swing. And, you know, when it comes to postpartum depression and anxiety, for example, if we're working preventatively along the way with the pregnancy and afterward during postpartum, you know, acupuncture and herbs do amazing things to regulate hormones. That's why it's so successful for fertility, because we're able to really work with the menstrual cycle and the hormones and really regulate things. And so if we're able to regulate as we go, then that huge swing that happens after labor is not so big. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So, hey, guys, if you're pregnant and needing some just additional like natural help, Allison over here is your gal. Like, I mean, you make me actually want to try to actually do the pregnancy thing again. Part of my like big apprehension from having for having another kid is going through what was not the best experience of being pregnant in delivery. The delivery itself was fine. Like I did fine delivering, but I mean, I was sick for majority of the pregnancy. I was probably mayhem to be married to during the pregnancy. Um, <laughs> for better or worse, right? I, my husband absolutely has PTSD from me being pregnant. Like, absolutely. And so, like, maybe knowing that, like, acupuncture... And we can what- give acupuncture to him, too. Don't worry. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But, yeah, like, knowing that there's, there's other areas of support. Because I know a lot of moms, too, don't want to pump themselves full of medicine to, like, make the pregnancy tolerable. And I think that that's been a, you know, hey, you're depressed during pregnancy, you can take a medicine for that. Or, hey, you're nauseous during pregnancy, you can take a pill for that. And I'm sure that, like, it's fine, but a lot of us don't want to put those foreign objects into our body because we're trying to do our best to just create the best habitat for this person that's not even, like, on this earth yet. And we want to set them up for the best success that we can and not be responsible for you know, was it the medicine that made this happen to them or whatever? Yeah. Uh, and, and a big part of what of what I do and what Chinese medicine practitioners do also is nutrition-based. So mm-hmm. a lot of the resources that I can offer, we can offer as a preventative measure, are nutrition-based. And there's so much that we can do at certain points. You know, we can adjust that. Say, if you're pregnant, you know, there are certain things that you need to fuel your body and to create more blood flow, create more energy flow in your body. And there are certain foods that promote that. So we can talk about that. And, you know, everyone's body is different. So what works for you might not work for, you know, another friend of yours that's pregnant, for right. example. So it's really important, too, that, you know, you're we're dealing with your your biochemistry and your genetics and your lifestyle. And there's so yes. many factors and you are so different from the next person that one drug to fix your nausea maybe isn't the best drug for somebody else. Right. Because right. the root cause might be different. Completely different. It might be a lack of a certain, you know, vitamin or mineral that you need in your body that's causing that exactly. or whatever. Yeah, totally. So Going past, well, you know, we're here, we've been talking for almost 50 minutes, which is crazy. It's flying by. (laughs) Um, But I do want to get into also just like talking more about just like maybe, I guess, the bedroom talk and like what us women can do to like help be more open, maybe, which is probably a good conversation just for you and I to have. And I'm willing to have Mm -hmm. it candidly open on here of just like working through sexual trauma and working through how that like negatively impacts your experiences in the bedroom and with your partner and figuring out like, I mean, I'll be completely honest and I've told my best friends this, but like for me, if I go pretty much past like your typical like positions in bed that are like missionary or whatever, I feel like a whore. Like, yeah. I feel like this, like, slut, like, where's my pole? Which, almost. okay, you're not. I know, I'm not, but that's, yeah. like, the feeling I get. Totally. And I'm sure there's other people that, like, Definitely. feel that way where they just, like, feel like they're, they're like, surpassing this, like, I'm a good person and or, what, or like, you don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. getting past that. And I'm learning that I can honestly do whatever I want. And if you are someone that goes and, ex- you know, experiences your sexuality 
by being with someone different all the time. Like there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. And there's like these words that have like been created and like these stigmas that have been created with women who like process through their sexuality. And like, I'm guilty of this and judging women based on like being more adventurous and better, more adventurous with other men. Like I'm guilty of judging them and, you know, putting myself on a pedestal because I'm not like that. And it's like so fucked up. Like it's just, well, I mean, we, we need, we need to support each other no matter yeah. what. I mean, especially women, you know, we need to band together and, and create spaces where we can talk as women about these things without judgment. Right. And, and it's important getting in, getting into the bed and being like, heck yeah, I will use a dildo or a vibrator or whatever to help step up everything a notch to like have some fun and really enjoy an amazing orgasm. But like, mm-hmm. That's stuff that, like, I, I would have said no to 1,000% up until, like, a month ago. <laughs> well, and again, it's always evolving, you know? Like, right. there might be things 10 years from now that you're doing sexually that you're like, wow, Abby, <laughs> 20 years ago or 10 years ago would never have done this. When I win the lottery and Hillis and I have our own red room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't need to win the lottery to do that, but... I don't have room for it in this house, but maybe one day. <laughs> now I get why people have a red room, though. It'd be so badass to just have a sex room. Right? And, and you have, like, all the all like, the toys that, like, you're, like, like just right there ready to go. It would be so nice. Yeah. And, well, I think, you know, just in, the, in lieu of talking about sex positivity, which is what we're talking about here, it's just being very open and honest and, and communicative about sex with your partner. I think a big piece of working through trauma is again, just kind of being in your body. And like mm-hmm. when, when you're talking about all of these things that you feel about yourself, that's all going on up in your head, right? right. While right. you're having sex. And it's taking you out of the present moment. It's taking you out of being present with your partner and being right. in the moment with your partner. So I know one thing that I've really found helpful for that is really using breath work during sex. Mm. And this is something that I think you can practice on your own first just to get comfortable with too. And then you can bring your partner into the loop if you would like. It's really powerful when you have two people doing it together, for sure. And this kind of goes into the Tantra realm. Um, Okay. And this is something that, you know, I'm not an expert in Tantra by any means. I've dabbled in a a little bit and and explored it. But the breathwork piece to me is really great because connecting with your breath and focusing on your breath allows you to be fully in your body and be fully present because you have this focal point. And you're taking the focal point away from your racing mind and your thoughts of judgment. And you're just being in your body. So... One thing I like to do, there's actually a Qigong master in Chinese medicine. His name is Montak Chia, and he does a lot of work around around sexual energy. And one of the meditations that he does is called the microcosmic orbit meditation. So you basically breathe in, you visualize the breath coming all the way up the spine and over the head. And as you exhale, you kind of bring it back down the front of your body, down the center, and you're basically connecting it at the bottom between your vaginal opening and your anus. And that gooch, I guess, yeah. is the, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. The term for it is perineum, but um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone knows that term. But um, anyway, so you're running this energy just in a circular motion up and down your spine. And you can just kind of visualize that as you're having sex. And if you're masturbating, kind of using that stimulation as you're masturbating as the focal point. So you're bringing the energy up and back around and you're focusing just on that stimulation on that point and kind of just breathing in and out as you're picturing that. Wow. So I don't know if that's easy to conceptualize just by hearing it, but it's really powerful practice to just practice the breath work while you're also like pleasuring yourself or you're in the moment with sex. Well, that makes sense too, because that's how you meditate is you focus on your breath and that's how you get your mind to calm down and to like get to a place of just like relaxing. So that would make sense to try to practice the breathing method while trying to enjoy something pleasurable. Especially after you've been, you know, assaulted or you've had sexual trauma where you're really shut down. Right you know, just to help open back up. And then again, also, I mean, like you said earlier, therapy is such a huge piece of the puzzle. I would recommend everyone do therapy. I think anyone... <laughs> That's how I feel. I feel like if anyone's done therapy and they've had a good experience, for like, everyone should do therapy. Well, I laugh all the time because I feel like our generation is like, everyone's in therapy. Everyone's talking about their shit. And I, like, that's why I say with generational stuff, my parents are like, no one talks about this stuff. What? And like, then our generation comes along. It's like, everyone wants to talk about it. Do you want to know what's so funny? My grandfather texted me last night and he listened to my like recap therapy recap episode, which obviously alludes to like 
smoking pot and, you know, everything else. And he's like, you know what? I want to come on and I want to talk on your podcast about just the generational differences of like, hey, back in my day, we didn't even have pot. Like it didn't exist back when I was a teenager. Well, that sucks for them. I know, right? But he was like... (laughs) But he was explaining to me, like, how crazy it is for him to listen to me having these conversations and then compare them to, like, his experience and, like, what, I mean, he's 80-something now, so now he's experienced through the 30s and the, oh, wait, would that make, no, no, he wasn't, he's not that old. What is he, the 40s? 40s, probably, yeah. the 40s. And, like, going through the 40s, and he's traveled and lived all over the world because we, I think that his dad, we we assume that he was in the CIA, so he was, like, lived all over the world. And he's like, I would love to just blow people's minds on, like, what you guys talk about generationally versus what I've experienced and like talk about going through, like he went through the seventies of the, the Forrest Gump and Jenny, like sexuality, you know, like all of that. Everybody just doing drugs. Yeah. And and having having sex sex and loving life. And then like going through that and like how, like now, you know, marijuana is becoming legalized and, you know, people are talking about sex and are talking about the Me Too movement and women and everything. And I don't know, like, it's just crazy because you talk about generation and he, like he's on actually the other side, like, yeah, let's talk about it. Cause like, it is so different. Yeah. And I think some people look at our generation, like it's like how generations work. Well, we look at the generation below us and we're like, Oh, they're crazy. Or like, they don't know what real life is or like whatever. They're not experiencing us. And I think it's just part of like life is just, we all, each generation has a different experience. Well, and I think that we're really lucky to be able to be so much more open because from, from a, a holistic standpoint, Think about what that does energetically to the body to hold all of those things in all the time and not be right. able to express your your feelings or your boundaries or, you know, I think also historically there's been this oppression that's kind of occurred where it, there's been this this kind of mentality that women are supposed to be like more of a submissive yes. person in the relationship and you know, the men, men are, you know, driven by biology and they need to have sex and you're just here to pleasure your man whenever he wants to have sex. And I think that I can't imagine what it must have felt like for women who were in that situation to feel so much so that they had to like keep everything in. Well, there's, there's still women in this world. I feel like that live that way, you know, and that they're just, you know, they're there to, to succumb to that, their partner. And, you know, there's, I'm, I'm learning this too, that like sex is just so much more than that and so much better than that. And like can be healing and mm-hmm. we, we were talking before we plugged in we were talking about how orgasms is like such an amazing way to release that like pent-up energy whether it's negative or just frustration or we we literally have a diagnostic term for it in chinese medicine oh really it's called liver chi stagnation <laughs> uh, and it manifests as frustration and irritability it's like this pent-up energy that just builds and builds and builds and i've literally i told abby before we started i've literally told patients you have a prescription to go home and have an orgasm. <laughs> and people look at me and they think I'm crazy and they laugh. But, I mean, let's be real. It's that same – you need to have that release. You need to disperse that energy. If you let it continue to build, right. we all know what that feels like, right? It's just like, ugh. Yes. I mean, whether or not it's an orgasm or exercise, you just got to – you got to get it out. But even though, like, I'm a big exercise person, although it hasn't been, like, really prevalent right like now in my life – I'm a big uh, exercise person, and I can tell you right now the orgasms that I've been experiencing in my life in like the last five, six months are completely different than anything exercise has ever brought me. <laughs> yeah, and there's, it's a completely different well, like, and there's reaction. so many kinds of orgasms, right? Like, well, there's that too, and I've had those discussions with my friends and realizing like I actually have abilities to do things that like a lot of people don't apparently, and it's like whoa, didn't know that about yeah. myself. <laughs> I mean, but it's so much fun to explore, right? Yeah. It is. It totally is. Yeah, we were talking about just self-pleasure and how, like, I don't do that and never have. And Meanwhile, I've been doing that (laughs) since I was 15, like a psycho. And I was like, (laughs) when I was like a horny teenager, I was telling Abby, it was so funny. In my high school, we had these three parking lots that got progressively further away from the school. The later you got there, you had to park further away. And I would always end up in the furthest lot because... My parents had one of those detachable shower heads on our shower, and I would just be late every day because I would I just discovered how good it felt to masturbate with that. And my friends would always laugh, and they would be like, "Are you in the third lot again today?" I'd be like, "Yeah, guilty." But I've always just been like, I was never like promiscuous, but I was just always so open about that, oh and my it was just I don't know, it was so funny. But yeah, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I know, and it's crazy. And so like you know, now it's like 
we've like experienced that and tried to navigate that a little bit more of like bringing me into like the pleasure part of having sex and like including me and my abilities to help make it better. And it's like, gosh, why wasn't I doing this? Like even through college, like my college experience would have been so different if I would have been like just a little bit more like open and but aware. But now you're open, it's okay. No, and now I'm like, well, I'm getting the best of the world because now it's with my husband and like we're just going to go to town now, which is well, super totally. exciting. It's, it's never too late to to start exploring that, you know, and I think it's really important what we were talking about before. It's, you know, it's so much better to know what you you like and what your body needs and what feels good for you as an individual. It makes it so much easier to communicate with your partner what you need. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah, that communication's key. Because, like, we, I even ask him now, I'm like, is this what you like or is this not what you like? Like, am I doing this right? Can I be doing it better? And it's just as important for him to understand me as it is for me to understand him. And, like, up until really honestly, like, probably even less than six months ago, we just did it and, like, didn't talk. Like, it was just like, yeah, that was great. All right, move on. Like, life goes on. And it's like, no, you should almost, like, sit and evaluate, like, what was good, what was not good, or, like, in the middle of it, say, hey, whoa, slow down. That's, like, starting to not be 100% pleasurable, and I'm learning that, like, really it should be. So if something's weird or wrong or doesn't feel right, like, say it. Stop it, like, there in the moment so there's mm-hmm. not, like, this resentment of, like, well, you just got off and it was painful for me the entire time. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, how – I mean, that's just no fun for you <laughs> or your partner if you're literally sitting there internally – not liking what they're doing or not right. finding pleasure. But I mean, also, the sex ebbs and flows. You know, when you're with somebody for a while, there's going to be times where you don't have sex as much. And like, that's okay, too. You just right. have to, you know, you have to just like let things organically. Yes. Kind I of agree. come and go and not judge it. All right. So what else? <laughs> I know you have. I like- mean, what are the takeaways? Everyone go <laughs> masturbate. <laughs> Everybody should orgasm once a day. Everybody should go have acupuncture. <laughs> yeah. Um, everyone come get acupuncture. No, for real though. Um, women especially really, really, we just need to have more conversations about our cycles, our reproductive health and postpartum care is really, really important. And if it's something that you haven't considered, I would urge you to at least look into it um, and understand, one, how your cycle works, and then two, what you care you need when your body is more vulnerable in those times. Yeah, and and get help and don't just be okay with like being alone and struggling. I think that's like, I went through that and just, you know, put myself in a corner and didn't let myself out and like could have probably bounce back a lot faster knowing that I could there were people out there to help and it doesn't have to be just a therapist but you know going and meditating or going and seeing an acupuncturist or a chiropractor Mm -hmm. and just finding those like outlets that can help you push along through the bad times or the hard times or the frustrating times and just not being afraid to like talk about it and bring it to your attention and your partner's attention if you don't feel like you have someone you can talk to it about, I would really encourage you, especially in that case, to to seek therapy or seek, yeah. seek extra support because I know there are some women who feel like they might not have anyone in their life that they can openly talk to about it, and that's okay too. It's just, But it is really important to have a safe space to talk about it, whether that be with someone who's completely outside of your situation, like a therapist who doesn't know you personally or people in your personal life. But it's just really important to have those people in your life. Absolutely build your village in yeah. a good village. So if you guys want to go check out Allison, she's here in North Austin. She does a phenomenal job. You guys can reach out to me and I can totally give you her contact info and everything. And she's also on Instagram, Dr. Allison. It's it's at Allison Shirts, my name, A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-S-C-H-U-R-T-Z. And I'll tag her in a post so that you guys can follow her. But she's she also uses her Instagram as like a way to educate women, which is really awesome. I, you know, went and like, I think I probably like creeped, but I was like reading, going through like half your post of just like <laughs> reading about stuff that you were posting about the female anatomy and body and stuff like that. So yeah, she's an awesome resource and you guys should totally go see her. Um, we're also trying to create, talk about doing some sort of like community acupuncture things here and there in the community. So we'll keep you posted on that, but Thank you so, so much. Yeah. This was awesome. It was also Thank you for having me. therapeutic for me. I don't know. I know. This, this is, is like a therapy session. It is. Totally. As we like cramped in my little guest bedroom. <laughs> um, it was awesome. So you guys, let us know if you have any questions. We're even interested in coming back on and doing another episode of a Q&A, just if this like prompted any questions of your personal experiences or 
whatever, we would totally be down to come back and do a Q&A on this. And um, even better yet, she's working on launching her own podcast. Yeah, it's going to be called Witch Doctor, W-H-I-C-H. And I'm going to be talking with Western healthcare professionals and various other healthcare professionals about various topics regarding the health and body. Yeah, and she'll bring in the more Eastern view of it and the Western, they'll bring in the Western side and then kind of, you know, find the common ground and medium between the two. So it should be really cool. I'm excited to listen in. Yeah, I'm excited. Follow me on Instagram uh, for updates on that if you're interested in that too. Yeah, and I'll definitely be sure to uh, share that. So you guys go out, have a great day, have a bunch of sex, report back, let us know how it goes. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Loving This Life podcast. It is because of people like you tuning in each episode that Loving This Life has a purpose. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. This is how we spread the love and reach more amazing people like you. I also want to say a special thank you to Ella Reed. She so graciously shared her empowering and uplifting song, Walk On, for us to use on the podcast. And lastly... Remember to wake up each day being confident with who you are, but also love yourself enough to change for the better. Peace, y'all.